0: Welcome. Thank you for joining Patient No Longer, the latest strategic offering from NRC Health. After hearing the need for more collaboration and more stories shared by like-minded healthcare leaders and thinkers, we've developed a new exclusive video podcast. I'm Ryan Donahue, solutions expert for NRC Health and strategic advisor and faculty member for the Governance Institute. I'm joined today by my colleague, Brian Wynn.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. My name is Brian Wynn. I'm the vice president of NRC Health. Ryan and I know that there is a sea of content out there, and we're hoping that our unique approach to shining a spotlight on our clients is going to appeal to you. We plan to roll up our sleeves and look at the ideas and the challenges that, that our partners are facing today with regards to bringing consumer-centric strategies to healthcare. So we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to dig deep, and we're going to have some fun along the way.
0: That we will. And as we start to unpack the Patient No Longer series, we're going to start by sharing some stories that are near and dear to everyone listening and viewing, but stories that fall along a familiar path. That's the path of the journey of the healthcare consumer. Now, we know through our mission of human understanding that NRC Health has long sought to put the consumer at the center of that journey, really the sun in the solar system. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, and the consumer is often left on the outside looking in. We also know from our consumer data that consumers want to be involved in their healthcare, they have incredibly high expectations, and they want fulfillment along that journey of care. Of course, it's never one episode or experience, it's a sequence of experiences, and consumers want more from that process, they want confidence, they want clarity as they go. So our hope in this series is to nudge the healthcare industry a little closer to that vision.
1: To that end, we're going to speak today with the seasoned healthcare leader who is helping healthcare organizations demonstrate the connectedness of their system by taking the voice of the patient and using it directly into the care delivery process. So he's going to speak to the impact of ensuring every interaction in your health system starts with the acknowledgement of what is most important to the patient. So. Knowing what matters the most to the patient creates this sense of knowing, the sense of connectivity. It actually helps to address communication issues and improves outcomes. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Gregory McCool.
2: Thanks, great to be with you today.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. Greg earned his PhD in communication and became a full professor of medicine at actually a major medical school, which is quite unique. He gained real-world life experience as the chief innovation officer at a large health system and is actually looking forward to running another triathlon, this time ideally without a mask. (laughs) Good luck with that. We We shall wait and see. Uh, Greg is the founder and CEO of Patient Wisdom, which is a company that, as I mentioned before, brings the wants needs preferences of patients directly into the care delivery system. It's entirely focused on humanizing the experience and delivery of care by listening to individuals at moments that matter most to them. And it's driven completely by communication science and was actually Ryan named one of the 100 companies in the world, with the greatest potential to change healthcare. Not bad. So again, welcome Dr. McCool. This is a very interesting conversation where we've been looking forward to having this because this asks the question that those of us that have been trying to propel the mission of human understanding, I know yourself included, it, it really asks this very important question. And For our listeners, the question is, what if everybody in your healthcare system started all of their interactions with patients and families by knowing what is most important to them? And what if communication was centered around their concerns, preferences, and needs, that's certainly something that I know was front and center for you when starting patient wisdom, maybe just talk a little bit about that, how you, how you took this idea and turned it into something tangible.
2: Hmm. Well, it goes, you could say I was working on it for five years or 35 years. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. the, it's really the core comes down to recognizing that patients are experts on their own lives, um, and clinicians are experts on clinical medicine. And if each is not taking advantage in a good way of the other's expertise, we're really missing the boat. And so part of what I wanted to get into the mix early on, even when I was uh, starting out on the faculty at Northwestern's Medical School um, was having medical students, residents, practicing clinicians understand what patients were going through in their real lives. So this is not an academic exercise. This is not about bedside manner. This is about better care. How do we make sure that the folks that are trying to help patients understand what they're going through, what they're up against, what they're trying to achieve? Uh, the the spark for, uh, for what turned into patient wisdom um, was really something that that I started doing when I was at the medical school where I realized that the, uh, the med students, most of them really didn't have much of a sense of what patients did go through in their real lives. So I just started giving patients video cameras for as long as they wanted and asked them to tell us what their lives were like. And we ended up making about 15 documentaries about living with different kinds of illnesses and we would show those to med students. We've, they've been used all over the world. They won film festivals, things like that. Um, but the, the core here, the point here um, is that they were unvarnished views of what patients are dealing with in the real world. So they really help people gain perspective on going beyond the diagnosis or the illness and getting into everything that surrounds the patient as a person. Uh, and, and I think that that's what we tried to create with patient wisdom.
1: That's really interesting. I think that is a demonstration of just how rare this knowingness is because you know, the documentaries have turned, created unintentional film stars out of just <laughs> documenting, uh, knowing right. what's most important to an individual. And, and I can imagine that's incredibly rewarding for the clinician as well, uh, as, as well as the patient and their family. So we spend a lot of time working with very large, very complex health systems and typically the larger the health system, uh, the more complex it is. We also know through listening to consumers that they don't care and the <laughs> complexities that, that, that a health system faces by way of operational things and, and uh, you know, payer complexities, all those, all those issues. Uh, that needs to be behind the curtain in the consumer's eyes and they just want to be treated with respect and be known. So how does what you do, how does your partnership with, with health systems get past things like the complexity of an organization, maybe potentially poor EHR designs, or uh, you know, I'd say a disparate or disjointed delivery systems?
2: Well, I think you're right, first off, uh, on, on a lot of levels. Uh, one is it's complex. The other is it shouldn't matter right to to the patient they don't they shouldn't have to put up with the fact that healthcare is complex and healthcare hasn't caught up to the rest of the world in terms of personalization so what we are up to with patient wisdom in and I think what makes it successful is making it very easy and very safe for patients to share perspectives what we call stories about what matters to them as people so they share stories about themselves their health and their care um, they do it through the, the website and it's a HIPAA compliant platform. And then we boil it down, everything they're sharing with us, we boil it down into a one screen view that takes busy clinicians 15 seconds to look at before they walk into the room to see the patient. Um, So every member of the care team has this at a glance sense of who that patient is as a person, what's important to him or her, where they're on different style and preference meters that we are creating out of what they're sharing with us. Um, and they, it's all designed so they can go in, do a better job, and save time. So it's got to be easy for the patient, or they're not going to do it, and it's got to be relevant, or they're not going to do it, and it has to be easy for the clinicians and you know, for the, all the same reasons, right? So it's got to fit into their workflow. It's got to actually enhance their workflow. It has to be seamless within the EHR because that's where they live, um, and all of those things we've, we've brought to bear on um, making this something that creates a difference in the real world.
0: So that's really interesting, Greg. And so, you know, Brian touched on this, that there's the complexity of the system. And for consumers, it's overwhelming. For them, they have no idea many times what they're in for in that process and that journey. But you've also touched on the clinician side of things, which I would think is essential to understand that clinicians can use this product. It's it's easy for them to use. Now, the other thing we know is that it's really difficult, sometimes it's really difficult for doctors to change behavior. Uh, we know that through a lot of our experience in trying to test innovations and things that we know consumers want. What has been your experience in unfolding this product in front of clinicians? You know, you have experience from that perspective, but you know it's a tough sell. So, so what are some ideas there for listeners and viewers as they try to work through those situations with their own physicians?
2: Well, I think we have to all practice what we preach, right? So if we're, if we're going to, like our tagline is we hear you. Right? So we're always focusing in on what can we learn by listening to the people that we're trying to help, patients, families, um, clinicians. And and a big part of that is then having the humility and the respect to really take on board what clinicians are up against, right, Um, as well as what patients are up against, of course. and if you think about it when people feel like they're drowning like many folks in in clinical medicine do you want to give them a lifeline not a rock right and and pretty much everything that is being you know handed to them feels like a rock unless it's helping them and making life easier making care better and, and so that's something that we take very, very, very seriously. And so I guess the, you know, to, to try to be a little bit more specific in answer to your question, what, you know, what are the sorts of things um, that we pay a lot of attention to? It's you have to do either one click or zero clicks to see this insight summary, right? So it either auto launches or you just click on one thing. It takes 15 seconds to look at right? There's no extra added attractions where you're trying to go out to another thing or, you know, page through things or do archaeological digs to find information. All of the really clinically relevant contextual information about what matters to that patient is right there for the clinician to see. And so a couple of comments that I think are really telling. One, you know, we've, we collect lots of comments from the, the folks that are using it um, one physician said this is the most revolutionary thing we've done since implementing the EHR in and I a, wow. meant that in a good way um, <laughs> and the another who was was definitely in the you know no more don't give me another rock camp right was skeptical about lots of things and I, I think rightly so um, made a point of, Letting, letting his CEO know, and I'm going to go PG rated here, but, but he said, he wrote to the CEO, this is the first add-on that's not bullshit. So when you think about the real world of clinical medicine, and you have folks that are seeing this is helping me do a better job with my patients, that's what gets people using it. Right. So you're going to have, and we run into this all the time people saying, Hey, I've got long standing relationships with my patients. You know, I know what they care about, I know what's important to them. Right. Maybe this will help in some way. I don't know. And then, you know, the first one or two of these insight summaries they see, they're just like, Oh, now I get it. Right. Things that they've never had a clue about. Because their patient has never said it out loud to them Um, are changing care and that's the point
1: that that's really interesting so it almost creates a bit of a safe space for the patient to be able to really uh, express what is most important to them so and you you mentioned also that it has to be easy for uh, for the consumer uh, so that participation is high can you maybe talk about that you know how how you've designed that to be to be easy to be Um, a completely frictionless experience so that they can sort of participate in the hopes that they're, they're going to see tangible benefit in their next physician interaction.
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the first and most important answer is we design it with patients, uh, right. The, the surest way to fail in pretty much anything is to sit around a table, like a nice little table, like you've got there and decide what other people need. Right. So, so we... Um, are all about human-centered design, um, working with patients and family members and clinicians to um, figure out what, you know, how should this look? How should this work? Um, We also pay a lot of attention to literacy. Um, It's all, you know, written at a fourth grade level, um, but in a tone that works for people that read way above a fourth grade level, right? Um, So it's not boring, for people, um, but it's it's simple, right? We use scaffolding, visual scaffolding to make points clear. Um, we also built in what we call smart gamification that leads people through from one story to another as they're going So It's kind of fun, there are success messages built in and that kind of thing. You can see what you're building in real time. Um, you can update things at any time. Um, so all of this has been extremely, um, thought through, um, and, and I think has, has led to the, uh, the use that we're seeing. Um, the other thing that I should mention is that everything we do is driven by communication science. So that's, that's my background, but we are, we are taking that very much to heart because pretty much everything we're doing is intended to improve communication because that's what's going to improve the experience. That's what's going to improve care. And I'm happy to say that we, we just completed a randomized control trial where we showed that uh, patients who are using patient wisdom reported double digit gains in their perception that their clinician treated them with respect, showed caring concern, showed interest in their ideas, and spent the right amount of time with them. And they didn't spend any longer. It was just better time. So you know, these are things that are moving the needle in everyday practice in the real world, right? Um, and that's that's exactly what we want to see. Yeah,
1: that's that's really interesting. I- having looked at millions and millions of data points on patient experience, patient satisfaction surveys, we know that pretty much regardless of care setting, communication uh, you know, with, with provider, with nurse, with staff, is always the primary driver of the global scoring on, on those things. It's always what's most important to be heard, to be known. Uh, if I could, uh, Ryan and Greg, I, I actually want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, sort of the, the give somebody a rock to help them swim. Um, <laughs> I uh, and, like that analogy. Yeah, I, I like the anad- anecdotes that you gave in terms of um, success in in integrating and using this technology. I'm going to actually go the other direction and read you something from uh, Dr. Gawande, Atul Gawande, who wrote in actually November of 2018 in the Annals of Medicine, he wrote an article called Why Doctors Hate Their Computers. And actually, I'm going to read a quote (laughs) out of this, and and, and here it is. So um, begin quote, with epic, paper lab order slips, vital sign charts, and hospital ward records, they would disappear. We'd be greener, faster, better. But three years later, I've come to feel that a system promised to increase my mastery over my work instead has increased my work's mastery over me, and I'm not the only one. So, end quote. I, I think that that's clearly another anecdote. But the fact that he says I'm not the only one, and I know that you've you've heard and seen data, you've, you've worked with clinicians, um, you've worked on communication. You know what what data points do you look at? You know what what hard data did you collect outside of just um, stories that that really pointed you towards, all right, this is a problem we're solving and, and we've got the tools to be able to do it?
2: Well, a lot of it goes back to the research I started when I was in graduate school. I mean, so we did something that was pretty unique at the time. We videotaped thousands of doctor-patient encounters. Um, I have about a thousand from Oxford, England, uh, about a thousand from Chicago and Vermont. And... And we were looking at what was happening and what wasn't happening. And the the emerging pattern that I saw um, was how clinical encounters tended to keep patients passive. Um, And not through any nefarious means or or any real intent um, to do that, but it was just the way they were, they were kind of set up, right? It's nobody's fault. Uh, but the, the the clear sense that that we were getting through, and we've you know published all of this stuff, but the the clear sense that we were getting was that patients weren't bringing up the things that were important to them. and the clinicians writ large, but I'm going to say doctors, um, in this case because we were primarily looking at at physicians, um, weren't asking, right? And so a lot of what we wanted to be able to do, was use that data, right, as the foundation for saying, how do you change the picture, right? What can you do? What are the interventions you can bring to bear? And so we've, you know, we've done a lot of work um, around how do you measure patients' perceptions of whether or not things are happening. So going from the videotapes of seeing what's there and what's not there, right? Coupled with surveys of the physicians and the patients to kind of do a perception versus reality kind of comparison. Moving from that to measuring patient perceptions of their clinician's communication. So I developed uh, something called the communication assessment tool, um, led a team that, that developed that. It's been used all over the place. And that's a really simple way for patients to gauge the communication skills basically of their clinicians. And the the continuing theme we see there is the lowest, like the bottom feeder items, right? So it's got 14 communication tasks that have been deemed essential through our research, through work with patients and, and clinicians to narrow things down. The bottom feeder items are encouraged me to ask questions and involved me in decisions to the extent I want, right? involve me in decisions as much as I want. Um, Always, any country we've done it in, any context we've done it in, those are always the two lowest things. So again, this is using data to say, how do we build a better framework, right? And that's what we're doing with patient wisdom. So we're, we're making it, you're getting your questions out there before the encounter, right? You're saying how much you want to be involved before the encounter you're saying what your goals are right before the encounter what the barriers to achieving your goals are before the encounter and all of that is available to every member of the care team when they're talking with you so it kind of preempts the problem of not bringing it up or not asking in the you know in the course of an encounter by getting it all out there ahead of time does that make sense
0: that makes sense and and so the interesting thing about that greg is i think you've you've taken issue that we've studied a lot over the years the psychology of the patient you know i've entered into patienthood i'm sitting there i don't have much time with the doctor that's one of the complaints we hear on the consumer side you know they're in there for two minutes seems like they're not there at all and and i get a little nervous uh, doctor's a, a position of authority okay so there's certain things that happen in that psychology that stop me from saying things or telling the doctor information that I was planning to do so and I'm kicking myself when I leave. And so I think that's so interesting that you're sort of building a bridge and allowing the patient to sort of go first and take a proactive approach to saying, This is my story. You know, I'm writing the first line, not anyone else. And I think that consumers from our data would really appreciate that. But talk about generational differences. One thing we always hear from folks is when we talk about all consumers, you cannot talk about all consumers. You know, we study through Market Insights 18 plus, but boy, there is a lot of folks. There's a lot of stratification. And one thing we've noticed in our data is that older folks might say, oh, I better not say anything to the physician. You know, I'm gonna defer, defer, defer. Younger folks like millennials and Gen Z, maybe not so much. Do you see that in inputs and in your data and what you're seeing with patient wisdom?
2: No. (laughs) So so a a couple of things. And it's, I mean, you're spot on. It's a really important thing to dig into. But what we're seeing is, first off, just brass tacks use of patient wisdom essentially tracks healthcare, right? So it's primarily, I think our biggest age group when we look at it by decades is 60 to 69 years old. It's mostly female um, in terms of the user base. Because that's healthcare, and so you know it's not the kind of thing like oh this is a this is a digital health tool only younger people would use it. That's not the case. In terms of uh, more specifically, an answer to your question though, nobody's holding back, <laughs> right? And it's not like they're right. um, you know like spewing anything. It's just that they're they're finally able to to say what matters to them, and and of course I, I don't want to give the impression that it never happens in an encounter without patient wisdom. It's just, you know, what we've done is we've created a way to make it a more reliable event, a more reliable process, right? So my my feeling, and, you know, based on all the, the work we've done over the years, um, is you can't expect busy people, and patients are busy too, to reliably do a great job of You know, having an effective encounter in terms of communication, unless there's a digital tool to support that these days. Um, And that's what we've, that's what we've designed. That's what we've put out there.
0: We understand this is a big idea clearly we see the impacts the positive impacts on the consumer and patient as they can be heard through this process you've talked a little bit more about how it can influence the clinician and how it can affect that part of the organization back to innovation you know there's sometimes good ideas that get through part of the organization and they stay there they stay trapped you know we work with the governance institute so we work with ceos c-suites and board members who never even hear about these things or maybe more so don't always know how it benefits the entire organization, which is their purview. Can you talk a little bit about these ideas of connecting patients and their clinicians, which really is the core of the consumer healthcare journey? How can you spread that out? How can a CEO, COO, someone else who's maybe not right there in the situation see the benefit to the entire organization?
2: Well, I, I think first off, you know, we talked about innovation being inherently threatening. Um, and it can't feel like the, you know, the innovation team, if there, if there is one, you know, a, lot of, a lot of organizations have, have them and a lot don't, right? But whoever's sort of leading that needs to be really, really aware that you can't create this vibe that this is where the cool kids hang out, right? And, and we're special and we're different um, and we're the ones that have all the answers it's more, you know, you're there to serve everybody else, right? This, this whole place falls apart with the, without the operations people, without the, the folks on the front line, right? So the innovation team, if they're, if they're doing it right, in my view, are there to serve that, you know, that group of people on the front line, right? They're not special added attractions, they're part of the whole mix. Um, So I think that's one really important piece of the puzzle. That helps preclude folks putting up roadblocks or undermining later, right? Now, when we connect it back into the, you know, the aspect of communication and and connection and human understanding, um, this is something that every CEO, every board member can get their head around, that they drive by billboards and look at their own websites that say, we're all about you, right? And I think the challenge is to say, is our organization ready to really do it or to just have a really nice billboard? And to me, that's the differentiator um, in terms of the organizations that we are working with. Um, So I can just give an example of Alina Health in Minneapolis. Um, They started out with um, using patient wisdom in one, Primary care practice, they moved to three, they moved to seven, and in November of 2020 did a big bang expansion to all of primary care, all of specialty care that shares real estate with those primary care practices. Um, why? Because their billboard says we do whole person health, right? And the, and they said, we actually want to do that right so back to my point about stakeholders and getting and, and everybody everybody's involved when we started there we had a very large kickoff session um, it wasn't just you know let's find the one champion who really cares and and try to move it forward probably 70 people involved in, in the the initial sessions that we had um, and the first thing we did is we gave everybody a basically, you know, those colorful post-it notes and a marker and said, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do patient wisdom? And they wrote it down. We put them up on a wall. We took a picture. We sent it to their CEO, Penny Wheeler, and said, I think they get it, right? I mean, this was fantastic, a great way to to start. So what, what everybody on the ground at Alina did on that day was say, we really want to put our uh, words into action, our promises into fruition, and um, follow through. And they've done it, and I'm I'm really happy to see the progress there. It's fantastic.
1: I would love to hear that. And I I think if you don't mind, Greg, I think there's something that I wanted to touch on because I don't think that we've given a sufficient time yet, and and that's before we wrap. Is this idea of this this recognition that the consumer is looking at those things not only those that not only staff and board members are looking at your own billboards and messaging saying that we are you know we are this entity we do these things for you clearly that's making a promise to the market to to consumers to patients one of the things that health systems have begun promising their their customer is this idea of connectivity this idea of systemness right and so maybe maybe talk a bit about how this approach can help i'd say perpetuate systemness or help lift it up and make it real for for a consumer as they're hearing messages about you know we know you uh we're we're here for you we understand you uh so how can we make that how can we make that you in bold and, and what does that mean with regard to systemness for for your clients
2: well i would say that the the first and probably most important step is to recognize that connectedness and systemness does not mean just faster transactions, right? The, the problem with healthcare, in my view, and you know the, the source of burnout, is that healthcare has become transactional, right? And just churning through patients. And if you really start thinking about it, the way to change that picture is to move from where everything feels like a transaction to where it actually becomes a relationship right? A, a working healing relationship for the amount of time that's, that's appropriate uh, within an episode of care. And that is the key, I think, right? If you, if you start thinking about it as how do we create this series of relationships instead of this sequence of transactions, right? When, when you start, you know, all of the leaders that are listening to this if they don't have a digital front door initiative in place, they've heard about it, they've thought about it, they've decided you know when or they, they might do it. If the digital front door is just a different approach to the transactions, that's not what people are looking for. That's not what patients are looking for. That is not what clinicians are looking for. It can get more people in the door. That's awesome, too, right? That's just that's really important, too. but it's one of those necessary but not sufficient aspects to real connectedness, to real engagement.
0: We love that idea of a virtual front door. We know consumers want access to that. And when systemness is really done well, I think that helps them feel like it's all a connected journey. It's a straight path. It's not a maze. I'm curious as I know we're closing down, but i've I've got a, a really simple question, because this idea to me is, is so brilliant in its simplicity, the al- allowing a consumer to provide their own data about themselves, online format that can be shared with clinicians and anyone taking care of them. So my question is simply this, Greg, why wasn't this done sooner? You know, you'd said you've either had this idea for five years or 35, so you can imbue it with your own personal journey if you like, but why wasn't this idea done sooner in healthcare?
2: I think part of it is the goes back to this is how we've always done it um, mentality and coupled with that. And it may sound like it's conflicting with that, but the almost illusion that we're doing it right. We're doing it well. And I think that's the frustration that, that people have. And I'm like, I cannot be more supportive and more empathic for what people on both sides of the stethoscope are going through. I feel like we have to give as much you know, love, if you will, to the, the clinicians as we do to the patients. We have to pay as much attention to what they're up against as to what patients are up against. But I, I think when you really think about it, we all know burnout is a very real, very, big bad problem that needs to be addressed but the root is people aren't doing clinical work that they think is valuable because they're doing transactional work or documentation work. I mean depending on how you look at it right and part of what gives people's work and lives meaning is having more healing relationships in the context of what they do every single day And that's, I think, a big a big part of this. So, you know, why didn't somebody do it before? I can't, I can't tell you exactly. But my sense is that there's a little kernel floating around in there of I thought that's what we did do. Um, And it's just, you know, it got back to or gets back to what I was saying much earlier, that we're just trying to make what people want to do a more reliable event a more reliable process
1: well it makes makes perfect sense uh mm-hmm. we're, we're exceedingly excited to see how um how organizations jump on board with this and uh how they're using voice voice of patient to improve communication to lift up communication to improve connectedness uh, it's something that uh, i think we all know is sorely needed and there's real tangible benefit to clinician, to physician, to, to patient, to staff, uh, to health systems. So I, um, uh, it's certainly, certainly very exciting to watch. As we part, I wondered if you might, uh, do your colleagues in healthcare a favor. And, and if you know of any common traps that might trip this, this effort up at, at their organization getting something like this up and going off the ground, what are those, what are those common traps, if any, that you know of, um, and how can we help put our friends on the lookout?
2: That's a it's a great question. Um I I think it goes back to one of the things we were talking about a bit earlier in the sense of recognizing that everybody's a stakeholder. And this can't this can't come across as something we're doing to you. And it can't just be, you know, positioned as, you know, we're doing it for you if you don't even know what it is, right? So it's it's really gotta feel like and not just feel like it has to be something that that folks are really well aware of and are pulling, right? Um, instead of you know, hey, here's another thing for you to do, and and so they just need to understand, you know, why bother for one thing. Um, we've seen great, I would say, two great vectors of you know just pushing things forward so people can pull them in. One is. Clinical champions that share their stories with other clinicians, other folks, um, and uh, you know, don't—they're not saying this is me, this is my thing, but here's how I use it. Here's how it's worked for for me. Um, Hal Baker at Wellspan uses it, and he's the CIO at Wellspan uses it in his own practice. You know that that sort of thing is just so important and valuable to have. Uh, you know, folks talking about their use, their experience, the value that they see. But then the other thing that we've seen be very, very uh, important is when a clinical site, whether it's a practice or an inpatient setting, literally takes it as a point of pride that they're using patient wisdom to better understand what matters to their patients. And if even if a patient's not using it yet, that they've turned a patient on to the opportunity to do so. Um, because it's It's going to make things better for everybody. So that's, I would say, the crux.
1: Terrific. Thank you very much for that. It's been a pleasure having you here today. I know Ryan and I both enjoyed it very much. So on behalf of the Patient No Longer podcast, Ryan and myself, we'd like to thank uh, CEO and founder of Patient Wisdom, Dr. Greg McCool, for joining us.
2: Thanks so much. Great to talk to you both.
1: Take care.